0: It's really easy to feel sorry for yourself. I had this misperception uh, because of the way the system was that, that I was fragile or weak or, you know, uh, or breakable, but, um, or that people would feel sorry for me, right? If I let them. The epiphany that I had was that I was in total control of that
1: perception. This is your host, Andrew Mangan. I started Connecting the Resilient a few months after I suffered a spinal cord injury in December 2016 in order to bring together survivors and doctors and therapists who'd been through the injury and who could share their own experience. I'm really excited about today's episode with Derek Herrera. Uh, Derek was hurt in combat a little over um, seven years ago and he has since become somewhat of an expert on spinal cord injury recovery and a lot of the different technologies available to the spinal cord injury community. Um, Within that, Derek has also started his own company, uh, Spinal Singularity, and they're working on their first product, which is a state-of-the-art catheter. Um, Really, really excited to share this episode with you uh, because Derek talks a lot about how the technologies change and evolve and how funding um, kind of change in the perception and the ways people can advocate uh, for themselves and for the community as a whole i'd also like to thank all of you for um, helping to support connecting the resilient and if you'd like to continue to support you can go to www.connectingtheresilient.com and you can go to the support page there and give as much as you're able to this really helps us um, keep the podcast coming and keep up the subscription for the website and the hosting services. Um, you could also check out our new peer-to-peer um, form and sign up if you are someone with a spinal cord injury. And if you haven't already, uh, you can sign up for a newsletter. Um, it comes out every time a new episode comes out and has any new updates for uh, the Connecting Resilient community as a whole, um, and it is a great way to stay informed about the upcoming podcasts and and what is being released. I really hope you enjoy this podcast and happy new year. I'm here with uh, Derek Herrera and Derek, could you talk a little bit? um, Well, first of all, thank you. uh, Thanks for coming on and speaking with us today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And could you talk a little bit about um, your injury? I know you are uh, injured in combat um, in Afghanistan. Could you talk a bit about um, your injury and then uh, your recovery from that, and um, some of the the rehabilitation and some of the programs that um, you kind of went through? Definitely. So,
0: I was injured on June fourteenth of two thousand twelve. So just over uh, seven years ago, and. I was injured when I was serving as a Marine Raider, um, a special operations officer in uh, a special operations team in Afghanistan. And so, uh, while I was out uh, conducting operations on a patrol, uh, shortly after sunrise, one of one of the days we were out, uh, we got engaged by enemy fighters. And while I was on the rooftop, was shot and a gun uh, gunshot wound. The bullet went into my spine uh through my left shoulder into my spine between the t6 and t7 level and was instantly paralyzed from the chest down and so fortunately uh my team sprung into action and was able to get me out uh to evacuate me from the battlefield that day along with another marine who had been injured in the same engagement and fortunately we all are doing really well and still alive Uh, i had no uh, fatalities that day but At that point began to move forward and uh rebuild my life dealing with paralysis and spinal cord injury and so since then uh i've been a complete injury so completely paralyzed from the t6 level down um and had a long journey over the past seven years a lot of different things i've been very fortunate to to do and participate in and so started off in the uh Veterans Affairs Hospital in Tampa, Florida, which was a major spinal cord injury clinic. So I spent about six months there. And before I had a spinal cord injury, I didn't know what recovery would look like or what it was about, because I'd never had that experience. And you know, I didn't have any friends that were uh, had these types of injuries. And so I didn't know what to expect. And so my wife uh, you know, quit her job and moved out to Florida. We were living in California at the time. I was stationed at Camp Pendleton, California. And so she packed up and came out there. Uh, I was inpatient for about two months. Um, and then decided to leave, you know, the hospital as quickly as I could to the outpatient setting, um, became an outpatient, did therapy for a little while. And then, you know, realized that a lot of the therapy I was doing was pretty similar to what I could do back in California. So I tried to get back to work as quickly as possible. And so went back to work at the unit that I was a part of, which was first Marine Raider Battalion. And I was doing staff work. So I was, you know, doing paperwork and plans and operations and things like that, um, which was really important for the battalion and, and really helpful for me to get back into that setting and begin to move forward with my life. Concurrently, I would also uh, applied to business school uh, and decided to participate and attend the executive MBA program at UCLA. And so I started doing that about a year after my injury on the weekends. And uh, while I was there, I became really passionate about medical technology and spinal cord injury research. Uh, initially, just as a a user of the technology. Um, so UCLA, one of the other reasons I decided to go there was because they were also doing some pretty groundbreaking research on uh, some of the spinal cord stimulation and epidural stimulation and things that, that's out in the, the news uh, that's, that's demonstrating a lot of promise for people uh, with these types of injuries. And the more I got involved with it, uh, realized that you know there was an opportunity uh, to try to make change for people more than you know just like myself, uh, not just for as a user and so had the idea to start a business uh, called Spinal Singularity and to try to uh, use business principles as a for-profit corporation uh, to raise investment and money to fund development of products that could really have a meaningful impact on the quality of life for people with spinal cord injuries mm-hmm. and so founded the company about four years ago uh, we've been in business since we've been very fortunate to have Uh, raise money from investors uh, and also from government grants and things to help fund our first project which is uh, a solution for bladder management and so we've created a, a fully internal extended use catheter system that can be wirelessly controlled to allow people to empty their bladder and so i can stay in the body for up to seven days and so instead of using intermittent catheters or foley catheters You can have this bot, this device in your body for up to seven days and be able to empty your bladder anytime you want using a handheld remote and just pressing a button. Um, so we're hopeful that this will improve quality of life and also clinical outcomes. Uh, and we want to, you know, collect the data to prove that. And, uh, I've been working hard over the past few years to try to get this product to market. Um, and so that's what we've been doing and, uh, are getting close. So throughout that time, uh, you know, I've been, Working a lot on that and then also been uh, trying to support advocacy um, through a lot of different organizations, whether it's, you know, United Spinal or Paralyzed Veterans of America, um, all these other organizations. Uh, I was also exposed to exoskeleton technology and was really fortunate to be involved in that. Um, And through that, that was actually the experience I had, which which really inspired me to try to solve this bladder management issue because I saw an opportunity that, that no one else was really working to solve because it was also the biggest challenge that I'd faced after I'd gotten injured was, was catheterization and bladder management. Um, so that's what, what I've been up to for the the past few years since my injury.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, first of all, um, yeah, I'd just like to, to thank you for your, uh, for your service um, and all that you have given. Um, and it's, it's a really, really interesting story. And you, you talked about how, um, how you kind of worked with a lot of that, um, a lot of some of the cutting edge edge research, um, like specifically the epidural stimulation, which uh, I'm sure you're aware of, is kind of just now they've had some um, huge success down in um, uh, down in Nashville, I believe, with uh, with that, um, which is really promising. Um, but I saw a quote yeah. of yours, um, and before we go on to talk a bit more about. About your company and about uh, your mission. In that sense, I saw a quote of yours uh, where you talked about it's not, it's not a matter of um, if I or we, the, the spinal cord injury community, um, will walk again. It's just kind of a matter of of when, as the technology improves. And I mean, you've been um, you've been injured now for for seven years, and so you've kind of you use some of the technology uh, when you were first in inpatient and outpatient rehab um and did you speak about how you've kind of seen some of that evolve um i mean from what was available back in 2012 to what's now available now and what's being researched and will potentially be available in the next five years um, like the exoskeleton for example
0: yeah absolutely so the basic premise for spinal singularity and the reason it's called singularity uh, you know, spinal obviously is pretty obvious it's spinal cord injury. So we're focused on people with spinal cord injuries. Uh singularity was because actually I envisioned uh multiple products coming together to create an exponential improvement in quality of life for people with spinal injury. And so there's so many challenges and so many things that people deal with with spinal cord injury everything bladder management to mobility, to sexual function, to neuropathic pain, all of these things. And a lot of times in research they get addressed in isolation. And so uh, as I mentioned, I was one of the, the first people to use exoskeleton devices. I was the first person in America to own uh, a personal exoskeleton after ReWalk had received obtained FDA clearance for the device, mm-hmm. um, and it was amazing, and it still is, and I still have the device and use it. But uh, that technology is still limited in its impact on my quality of life because you know, I can't travel with it. I you know have to have my wife there to help me use it and all those things, and so. Um, through that experience, the real passion that I developed to try to solve these issues was to integrate these things. And so, what I thought of was, over the next ten to twenty years, how do we create the conditions so that you know we have mobility addressed, we have uh, pain, uh, bladder management, sexual function, bowel—all these things that that people deal with—addressed uh, in an integrated or, or singular manner. Um, so that's that's kind of the way I see the landscape. And after you know, doing a, a pretty exhausting review of everything that's been done everything that's out there um the stuff that people are doing now and talking to enough experts you know there's a few key verticals uh that are all being addressed in isolation and hopefully uh in the next 10 to 20 years we'll be able to prove the efficacy of those individual therapies and Mm -hmm. then begin to integrate them and really have the real meaningful impact on quality of life because the basic truth uh you know that we know within our company um, obviously is not if but when you know I'm yeah. 35 years old and, you know, there's I'll hopefully live a long life, live long enough to, to be able to see this happen with the exponential changes in technology. Um, so it's not a matter of if I'll regain bladder function or be able to urinate again, but when, right? It's not a matter of if I'll be able to walk again, but, but when and how soon? Um, and so that is one thing we know to be true. And then the other thing we know to be true as well is just that, you know, the integrated nature of, these products can provide a real exponential Im- impact on quality of life. And so creating the conditions to make that that successful. So everything from stem cells to spinal cord stimulation, to exoskeletons, to, you know, our device, the catheter, um, that's really where I see the meaningful impact occurring. Uh, and so as I was doing this review, I, you know, was, was pretty, pretty ballsy and just like emailed all these people and tried to talk to all these people and hunt them down at conferences and everything. So, uh, you know, I found, found out who was doing what online. Uh, so obviously at UCLA, you know, I, I talked to Dr. Reggie Edgerton, who's the, the father of, you know, spinal cord stimulation and has been working on this for 50 years and found yeah. out the shortcomings and the limitations of that device and the promise that it holds. Um, I talked to researchers at UCSD down in San Diego, California that are, you know, successfully testing and, and growing axons using stem cells uh, and some other advanced technologies in primates and hoping to begin, uh, studying it in humans soon. Um, and so the other truth that I I kind of realized was in the short term, there's, there's not going to be a magical pill or a silver bullet, right? Like I'm not going to roll into a doctor's office and walk. out. Um, and so knowing that, how do we integrate these technologies in a fashion that's really going to have a big impact on someone? And so, those are the things that I kind of see. And, uh, and that's what, you know, long-term I'm hopeful and, and optimistic will, will occur. Um, but in the short term, you know, we're trying to solve a really big unmet need, which, uh, which is just focused on bladder management. Um, but that hasn't stopped me from, you know, continuing to follow progress and, and meet with people who are doing, you know, spinal cord stimulation, um, exoskeleton technology, uh, stem cell technology, you know, advanced physical therapy modalities, those sorts of things. And so uh, my wife and I are originally from Delaware and when I left the military, decided to stay here because of access to all these resources. And so, like I said, down in San Diego, there's some really advanced stem cell work being done up at UCLA. They're still doing some advanced work with spinal cord stimulation. Uh, There's some functional movement recovery centers uh, down in Carlsbad, which is pretty close to where we are. Uh, And then there's a lot of medical device development and medical device, you know, uh, network here in orange county where i live um and our company is headquartered uh that enable us to do what we do and so i can talk about as much or as little as i know about any one of those things you want to dive into but um but the things that you know just off the cuff that i see that are, are showing you know the most promise uh stem cells are obviously a big big deal i'm definitely not the expert in that I'm, my background's in engineering uh not you know uh chemistry or yeah. you know advanced biology um but that's shown a lot of promise uh the spinal cord stimulation stuff I've, I've gotten more involved with recently and um dr edgerton is is actually and some of his colleagues have, have are about to start uh or have started a company to try to commercialize some of that technology and so the uh all of the spinal cord stimulation started there with him at ucla and then uh some of his Former students and and doctoral candidates, uh, branched out and continued to expand the research and grow it beyond that. So that's how, uh, Dr. Susan Harkam down in Louisville, um, has taken over a lot of that, uh, push, which has shown pretty, uh, promising results. Um, there's another doctor named Gregoire Cortine, I think is how you say it in Switzerland, I believe, with another company called GTX, which is doing some other advanced stuff. But the guys in UCLA, what they're, they're still pursuing now is a non-invasive technique to accomplish the same thing. So instead of having to get the surgery and having a device implanted into your body permanently um, yeah. to be able to apply these electrodes to different parts of your spine and then uh, you know, receive the stimulation and then take it off when you're done. And so that's kind of promising as well. Um, and they're doing some really advanced stuff. And, and the reason why I recently contacted them as well is because they're doing some pretty amazing work with uh, with bladder function. Um, and so using stimulation, they're able to, to basically improve the capacity of people's bladders um the sensation for knowing how full your bladder is and a lot of other pretty pretty impressive things um so those are pretty interesting and then exoskeleton wise uh still stay abreast of the changes in the the dynamics with with rewalk which is the device that i own uh and then also see a lot of other uh companies out that are into the space which is awesome because the more people start to invest money and time into the, the space the better these devices will get um so Parker Hannifin obviously has their Indigo device and then ExoBionics uh with their device as well. Um so so it's it's a good time to be alive, I think, and a good time to to you know, I don't know if there's ever been a better time. There's never a great time to get paralyzed and get injured, but you know, when I talk to veterans and other people that have you know been around for 30, 40 years uh thinking about the conditions that they had, it's definitely definitely much better today. Um so I feel yeah. I feel really fortunate people to, to to have access to these resources.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I mean, I love what you said and, and kind of your approach um, with your company. How it's there is really no magic bullet, um, as you put it, and it's kind of solving all these um, like ancillary problems that that make up the the quality of life for for patients um, across this, across the spectrum, whether it's um, like fully paralyzed, complete um, paraplegic or quadriplegic, to uh, somebody who just has um, like minor um, continuing disabilities but i'm i'm interested um and i know there's a ton of research now in 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 like stem cells and sci uh, and stimulation and exoskeleton among other um, different areas and i'm curious whether you think and um, in, in you've seen in the in the time that you've you've had your company that you've been looking for funding um, and speaking with other people and going back 10, 20 years, how the uh, change in allocation of funding for SEI research um, has developed, and whether you think uh, now it's kind of more um, uh, more at the front line of, um, of research as far as um, receiving funding and stuff, or if you think there's still a, a good ways um, to go as far as representation, in that sense.
0: Yeah, that's a a great great topic and a great question. And so, uh, when I first started, I didn't know anything about government budgets and government grants and those sorts of things for for these types of activities. But have really tried to become an expert over the past five years. And we see a lot of challenges and and barriers, a lot of organizational inertia, a lot of bureaucracy. Um, And a lot of doing things the same way that have been done because that's the way they've been done for so long. Mm -hmm. And so the good news is, is there's tons of money out there, right? The government pays tons of money every year for spinal cord injury research, whether it's the national Institute of health or through congressionally directed medical research programs, um, or national scientific foundation, there's billions of dollars being spent on medical research. The challenges, uh, one of the challenges of many, uh, is that there's, uh, a lot of people competing for the same funding so every year mm-hmm. you know Congress approves and authorizes these allocations uh, for different things and you know who's to say that they should put more money into spinal cord injury versus ALS or MS right and so yeah. at the end of the day I don't know what the science is but between determining who gets who gets what and how much money is spent um, but you know that's that's one challenge and then the good and bad thing is is you know there's uh, a lot less people that have spinal cord injuries than people that have MS or Parkinson's or diabetes, um, or all these other types of issues. Uh, and so, you know, so it's, it's presents some interesting challenges. It's a, what a lot of people in the business world call an orphan market. Um, because if you try to design products just for spinal cord injury alone, you know, it's really hard to make money, which means that investors, don't want to invest in companies that only do spinal cord injury, and so a simple example of that is you know look at ReWalk, right? ReWalk, yeah. Started with spinal cord injury, uh, they went public and have been successful um, commercializing the device. But but the only reason they're still in business is not because of the spinal cord injury market, uh, it's because they've they adapted their technologies for stroke. You know, and unfortunately, uh, almost a million people, I think it's eight hundred thousand people every year in the U.S. have a stroke that results in some type of hemiparesis. Uh, so that number is huge and growing, um, which makes for a good business, uh, and good investment. Whereas, you know, the 300,000 people or whatever estimate you use of people that have chronic spinal cord injury in the U.S. is much smaller. Um, and so it makes a, a little bit different on the business dynamics and also the grants too. Um, so there's some challenges there. Uh, and then the other thing that's a challenge that can be solved as well is there, there still are millions and, and, you know, millions of dollars out there for research um, specifically allocated for spinal cord injury. Uh, the challenge is, is who decides what's most important, right? Like you say you want to study spinal cord injury research, who says, you know, how do you, how do you organize the, the funding stream and how do you get it to accomplish what you want it to accomplish? Right. So like, do you want it to go towards, you know, urology and bladder function, or do you want it to go towards, stem cells and overall spinal cord function or basic research, right? There's, there's a lot of like, uh, challenges that are presented in that manner. Um, and the thing that you can do and everybody listening to this can do is to advocate for those sorts of things. Um, and so there's another group called unite to fight paralysis, which is focused mostly on advocacy, uh, for spinal cord injury research, but, um, but these other congressional pots of money. So for example, the the grant that we just got was congressionally directed medical research program for the spinal cord injury Mm -hmm. research program. And they have a process where every year they'll ask people and have consumer reviewers, people with SCI sit on these panels and try to help determine what impact these different research proposals will have on their quality of life. Um, And so, you know, so identifying the functional areas and saying, Hey, we're all, we all have spinal cord injury. Like, you know, it's cool that you guys are funding billions of dollars of like, you know, the next pill to prevent SCI. But what about the 300 of us that still, you know, black bladder function, right? It's stuck using catheters, yeah. you know, 10 times a day or whatever. Like, can you pay somebody to help develop something for, for that? And, you know, unless you advocate for the community or, or speak out to these people um, and make your voice be known, then, uh, then the system may not know where to spend the money or what to incentivize. And so I saw that, uh, you know, firsthand when I sat on one of these panels the first time, maybe five years ago as a consumer reviewer and you know reading through hundreds of pages of all these research proposals and all these scientists we don't have sci who are trying to empathize and understand but you know but they don't they don't know they don't know what it's like yeah, right or what's important so what they're focused on if you can imagine like being a professor right and you're at this university your job is to bring in money and research money and publish papers and do great research right and so yeah you know you're not always like able to go and find out what people's spinal cord injury want and and what's most important and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, so convincing or requiring researchers to do something that's impactful is something the system has to do. And it's, it's a little bit challenging at times, um, but it's gotten a lot better from what I understand. Uh, And one of the ways, you know, if you look at, there's a, a research article that's been published in 2004, which was, um, pretty much game changing, I think, in this respect. And it was in the Journal of Neurotrauma by a doctor called uh, Kim Anderson, Dr. Kim Anderson. And uh, her whole research, she just surveyed quadriplegics and paraplegics and said if you could have one function return instantly, what would it be? And then she published that. And so she had, I think, 684 respondents, uh, you know, that responded to this and you could only pick one, right? Whether it was bowel and bladder function or sexual function or walking or hand and arm function. and you know everybody always thinks if you don't have a spinal cord injury you're like oh it sucks you can't walk right like that must really nice. suck right and you're like yeah but what about all this other stuff right like what about the catheters like those suck or you know like i'd like I, you know walking is good but like i'd you know prefer to have the ability to like you know move my fingers and be able to control things and pick up water bottles or you know that kind of stuff too so um so those are sorts of things those are a lot of challenges I'm, uh that, that present themselves with the system. And so, you know, there's different ways to deal with it and and potentially different solutions. But for me, what I just decided was, you know, how do I understand the system? My goal is to help people, as many people as I can with this product as rapidly as possible. Uh, I need to be an expert in the way the system works so that I can understand how to communicate the real value and impact of what we're doing and then convince them that it's worthy of funding. Um, And so... That's what what I've spent the past few years doing, and and fortunately, it paid off. We we've been awarded uh, two grants from the National Institute of Health um, for a little bit over one point seven million dollars, and then one grant from the Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program uh, for about three point six million dollars, which has helped to fund all of our clinical trials and our clinical activities.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you put it uh, very very well. And I guess um, how how are the I'm curious how are the uh like the clinical trials in your product going forward with because I mean I was reading up on it and it's, it's it's super impressive. Um and I think it could be could be quite uh revolutionary in the uh in the SCI world. Thank you. Yeah, no, we
0: uh I think so as well. I'm obviously a little partial, but clinical studies have gone well. Uh so we did two clinical studies here in the US uh last year and we're we're launching a third right now, actually. So we're screening and enrolling as we speak. Um, and so, you know, you can go to our website, either spinal singularity.com or, or connectedcatheter.com. to learn more. There's a little uh, form at the bottom where you can just, you know, put your name and phone number and stuff in there. And then if you click send, then uh, then one of our research associates will call to try to help pre-screen you or get you in the study if you're interested. Um, and so third clinical study, this one will hopefully get us the data we need to get FDA clearance so that we can, you know, start, uh making the device available to everybody here in the united states without having to do it under a clinical protocol um and so yeah we're we're optimistic that that'll happen you know soon but uh the more people we have sign up the better and the, the the quicker we can get this thing out on the market where it can help people
1: yeah yeah no that's super exciting and i know um although this product is is still in clinical trials you talked about kind of how you based the company and your idea for um, your company is that it's not it's not a single product it's it's bringing together a lot of different products to improve the quality of life and I mean what would um, if, if you've thought about it, where do you think um, you'd like to look at next um, to try to improve the quality of life in spinal cord injury? people now you're working with uh, bladder. what yeah. do you have any thoughts on kind of what yeah. the next uh, the next step is?
0: Definitely. Yeah.
1: So the, the next step, um,
0: the way that I've identified these areas personally uh, for me is just based off of opportunities and unmet needs. And so, you know, so for example, I'm not going to start an exoskeleton company tomorrow because there's a lot of people already doing it. Uh, And so for me, what I can impact, what I'm pretty certain that I have the abilities to do now is to continue to help solve some other issues in the bladder space. So our catheter Solves a really big problem. Uh, one of our catheters can replace as many as 50 catheters potentially, you know, over the course of a week. Um, and so yeah. it solves the issue of frequent catheterization. Um, but, you know, there's still other problems with the bladder too, right? Like, how do I know when my bladder is full, right? Uh, or can I help prevent leaking, you know, if my bladder gets too full, um, yeah. which our product doesn't solve, right? Like, we don't have the solution for that. We've got ideas on how to make it do that. But that's that's probably the next thing that we'll focus on. Is mm-hmm. uh, you know how do we just improve bladder capacity? How do we improve you know sensation or fullness, or have a device that just tells you when your bladder's full so you don't have to worry about leaking? Um, and we, we that was the initial vision that I had. And obviously, as an entrepreneur and a startup, you got to focus on one thing. And so uh, we're focused on the catheter um, and just solving that catheterization issue. But that'll probably be the next thing where we focus our our, our time and and money on. And uh, the other thing, too, personally, with, you know, the impact that I think in what's achievable uh, through this process, I've met so many great people and built a, a pretty strong network of key opinion leaders and, and clinicians and, and all of these people, and they're all focused on urology. And so the next time I try to develop a product with urology, you know, clinical studies, you know will go much better. We'll be, you know, because we have the experience, right? So I, when we started the company, I'd, I'd never run a clinical study in anything. I didn't know any of this stuff, right? So like, I've learned a ton over the past yeah. few years and built a pretty strong network. And so hopefully we can leverage that for more things in the same space moving forward. Um, whereas if, you know, the next, if I was to say like, Hey, I'm going to start an exoskeleton company, like, you know, I'd be like, Oh, it's starting from scratch, right? Cause I don't know as many physical therapists as I yeah. do urologists. Uh, same thing with stem cells, right? I'm Absolutely. not going to start a stem cell company. Cause I don't know. And there's plenty of other people that are already doing that. have spent their lives trying to figure that out. So, um, so that'll probably be the next thing that we focus on. Uh, and we've got some ideas and some, a lot of stuff in the works to try to figure that out. But basically at the end of the day, like the biggest challenge I had was like, when I first got injured was I really hate catheters using a catheter every, you know, four hours sucks. Um, and you know, I can't feel the fullness of my bladder. So I don't know when it's full until it's already leaking. Right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, if I go out with friends and I want to drink a diet Coke, that may affect me differently than water. Or if I want to have a coffee in the morning or a beer at night, you know, like all this stuff is different. And so like living your life in fear of having a bladder accident is like crippling, you know, it's paralyzing at times, which, yeah, uh, yeah. which sucks, you know? And so that'll probably be the next thing that, that we focus our attention on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I totally, um, like, even for me, and people say, oh, well, you're, um, like, I still walk with a limp and stuff, but still face, like, far more, um, like, relatively far more bladder problems than I do physical problems, um, bladder and bowel problems. So, yeah, I definitely, um, definitely, definitely um, think what you're doing is super important. Uh, It's super helpful. And I'm curious, because you said um, you've worked closely with a lot of urologists, and I know more so on kind of the bladder side, but um, something that I've been looking into recently, and I'm curious on whether you've come across this is um, like the effect of spinal cord injuries on testosterone, um, like specifically yeah. males and kind of testosterone production. And I was yeah. curious if you've um, come across that because I've been doing some research on it independently and in speaking with some people and it's kind of very like no real definitive answers. And it's, it's, yeah. it's pretty Amazing, frankly, because um, the effect of like having low testosterone in somebody um, like with a spinal cord injury or without a spinal cord injury um, is, is like quite drastic.
0: Yes. Yeah. I haven't dove into the research on it, but anecdotally, like pretty much every day I talk to, you know, that has been tested or has had these issues, you know, ends up having low testosterone. Yeah. So I, I, it's been on my list to like look into and to, to see. And um it it makes sense. Like, you know, your body has changed, so why would your hormones not change after these types of injuries and these lifestyle differences as you move forward? Um, and you know, having been around a little bit to know like that kind of stuff will affect all aspects of your daily function, your mental function, your cognitive abilities, everything. So I've seen a lot of stuff as well, and there's a lot of research out now also. Um, which is looking for veterans with, with TBI, uh, you know, traumatic brain injury. And a lot of times there's, there's some research that's, that's showing that, uh, that there, there may be some correlations between TBI and low testosterone as well. And so by increasing those hormonal levels, regulating your hormones, uh, you know, it helps to impact positively your ability to remember things, your ability to, to function in general, your ability to sleep, like sleep is huge. Like sleep is such a big deal. Um, you know, and, People with SCI have to, you know, deal with all kinds of other challenges with you sleep, right? Like, uh, you know, autonomic dysreflexia and, you know, temperature regulations, uh, bladder issues, like, you know, it it just, all that stuff. And then if you add hormones in there too and you have a hormone imbalance, like, or, you know, any sort of like adrenal or adrenal fatigue or any cortisol deficiency, you know, those those sorts of things, like, you're going to be pretty miserable pretty soon, right? Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I haven't dove into the research, but, I, I would not be surprised at all if, uh, if someone were to conduct a study or just do a uh, surveys, uh, to find this and test people that there is a definite correlation for people who are living their lives in wheelchairs and spinal cord injuries, or maybe even not wheelchairs, wheelchair, maybe even people that are ambulatory like yourself, but with spinal cord injury that, you know, suffer these effects over the long term. Um, and so, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah no yeah I mean it's uh, yeah I was just curious um, just because a lot of that um, a lot of that's like based around urology obviously it's um, uh, different than than the bladder functions but um, yeah I was just interested and so Derek a lot of our listeners um, and a lot of listeners uh, a lot of our listeners are either recently injured patients or family members or friends of uh, people who've been uh, recently injured or had a spinal cord injury. Um, and so kind of what would you say to them, um, that you would say to yourself, um, seven years ago, um, going forward, what their outlook should be and kind of what their, what you, what their hopes are for the, um, for the future kind of in the technical, yeah. uh, research field. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of things that I'd love to say to them, but, but the, you know, the things that come to mind initially uh, when I was thinking back to those times and when I was first injured, um, it's really easy to feel sorry for yourself. But what I kind of learned over time was that, you know, I had this misperception uh, because of the way the system was that that I was fragile or weak or, you know, uh, or breakable, but, um, or that people would feel sorry for me, right. If I let them, but the epiphany that I had was that I was in total control of that perception, right? Like just because I'm in a wheelchair, you know, I can still live my life in a way to not, you know, that, that no one should feel sorry for me, right? Like, and that's what I continue to try to do every day because I still have so much opportunity and so many amazing things happening in my life that, like, if I were to sit and feel sorry for myself all day, you know, like, then then people would feel that way as well, and it just compounds. So, um, you know. There's a, a natural grieving process and like a period where, you know, it's it's totally normal to feel sorry for yourself. And some people, it lasts longer than others. But um, at the end of the day, when you take an assessment of your environment and yourself and you understand and, you know, you're, you're situationally and self-aware of what your personal limitations are or maybe and, and what the environmental limitations are, or maybe, you know, then you have a good understanding of how you can take action to accomplish anything you want to accomplish. Right. and so you know, I'm not going to go climb Mount Everest, but like, you know, there's plenty of other things I can do, right? Like I can do marathons on a hand cycle. I can work out. I can walk using an exoskeleton. I can, uh, you know, all all these different things that you can do. Um, and so if you, if you have a good understanding of yourself and and your environment, the situation that you're in, uh, you know, and then realize that people will feel sorry for you if, if you let them, uh, but that if you're in control of it, they, you know, they won't, and you can live your life in a way that they won't, then, you know, you can, can just start moving forward and, and and have a great life, right? Like, you know, does being in a wheelchair suck sometimes? Yeah, it does. Like, you know, it still sucks seven years later when, you know, I got to wait at TSA trying to get on a plane or get through security and I'm waiting for these people and everybody else gets to walk through. Right. But, you know, but I can make up more time on the straightaways. Right. Cause I can go faster than them. And like, you know, get to the airplane faster and all that stuff. Um, So just like the outlook and the the perception that you have in in almost all cases, unless, you know, unless you're going through real clinical depression or or have like clinically diagnosed issues in most cases, a lot of that, like, you know, just a general malaise you can control and you're in control of, of where you want to go, where you want what you want to do, how you want to move forward. And so, um, you know, no one should should limit what you can do but but yourself, really. Uh with the exception of like, you know, I know I'm not gonna go climb Mount Everest tomorrow, right? But there's so much other stuff that I can do that no one's limiting me. Uh and that's what I focus on every day.
1: Very well put. And I really liked what you said about kind of yeah, don't focus on on what you can't do. There's so much stuff that uh that you can do that you can focus on. But Derek, thank you very much for uh for coming on and, and speaking with me about um your own personal history um, and your own um, experience with spinal cord injury as well as kind of what you're doing and the advocacy and you seem to be really very well informed in the whole, um, in the entire area of uh, spectrum of spinal cord injury research. So I'm super excited to follow um, your first product uh, and hopefully others uh, after that, but thank you very much for, for coming on and speaking with me today. Pleasure's all mine. And, uh, yeah.
0: For any of the listeners out there as well, if you're interested, like I said, it's spinal or ConnectedCatheter.com. Uh You can find our links there to ClinicalTrials.gov, where we'll have the, uh, the sites up and everything. And, and we can also, you know, contact you if you fill out the form um, and we're looking for, for any catheter users, any adult male catheter users, because our products only for males currently um, in the U S uh, we've got sites in California, Texas, Nebraska, uh, Colorado, Minnesota, Florida, uh, Baltimore, D.C., New Jersey, New York. Um, probably more that I'm, I'm, I'm not thinking of on the top of my head, but if you go to our site, there's there's plenty of ways to get involved in to, to do it. And, uh, and if you don't live in one of those sites either, there's, there's uh, a survey online, too, that you can fill out, um, which will help us with exactly what we talked about, the advocacy. And so one of the things that we did recently is we put a survey online. Uh, it's got a video of our product. And it's got literally like one question It says, you know, if this device were FDA cleared and, you know, your insurance paid for it, would you be willing to try it? Uh, and yes or no. And then obviously your contact information. So for anybody that fills out that survey, uh, there's a $10 Amazon gift card we'll, we'll send you once our research associates call you. But the reason why we're doing that is is to, to advocate for people in these situations, right? And to tell them like, hey, this is a product that could have meaningful impact on people. So... Um, so if you guys are are interested in, in helping us out, go check it out, uh, and, uh, really appreciative of the opportunity to speak with you, Andrew.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. That was my conversation with Derek Herrera. I really, really hope you enjoyed that. And if you'd like to learn more about what Derek is doing you can go to www.spinalsingularity.com. You can also visit um, our website, www.connectingtheresilient.com, and on the podcast page uh, under the Derek Herrera podcast uh, post, there are a number of links, including a link to his survey and to the clinicaltrials.gov posting of the clinical trials that his catheter is currently in. As always, I look forward to any um, support or suggestions you have. Please email them to andrew at connectingtheresilient.com and I look forward to speaking with you next time.